And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, we'll visit 221 B. Baker Street for another thrilling detective adventure of Sherlock Holmes from 1948. Then, Willard Waterman stars as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve in part one of a comedy episode of The Great Gildersleeve from 1953. But first, let me say hello to my co-host with the dimples. What's up, Lisa Wolf? Hey, How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Gosh, look at those dimples, Mike. I see them. I'm just my marveling gosh. that it's been a week since we've been together. Are they deeper than last know. week? Are they? They seem deeper. They could be. I'm did you bring some spackle, Mike? I didn't. Oh, man. Home Depot. we got to get some spackle. You keep saying things. it. You know what, Carl? You know what they say about people who just keep <laughs> saying it. <laughs> I'm a. I gotta be a doer, right? Quit just talking about it and do it. That's a nice way to put All it. All right, sounds good. Good to see you, Mike you and too. Lisa. You my too. team here, Hollywood 360. It's time now for a good detective adventure of Sherlock Holmes. This stars John Stanley and Alfred Shirley as Holmes and Watson. It's from January 11, 1948. It's called The Case of the Sudden Senility on the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. From New York, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and 1036 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Our stories are based upon the character of Sherlock Holmes created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes is portrayed by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley, and the dramatizations are by Edith Miser. Well, here we are once again, settled comfortably in front of Dr. Watson's cheerful fireplace. Outside, the winter wind wails like, like, well, let's see, what does the wind sound like tonight, Dr. Watson? A lost soul or a baffled banshee? What would you but say? To me, Mr. Harris, that wind sounds rather like Bast, the ancient Egyptian cat goddess, sometimes called Eubastis. She howls, they say, if anyone disturbs the graves of those who have consecrated themselves to her. Oh, come now, Dr. Watson. You don't believe that sort of nonsense, do you? Well, I'm not so sure, Mr. Harris. I'm not so sure. One violent autumn night, as Holmes and I crossed the windswept moors that surround King's Highland, we heard such a cry, a strange, harsh ululation that struck a chill to our marrow bones. It was a brisk fall day rather early in the century. After a good deal of argument, I had persuaded Holmes to accompany me on a constitutional through Kensington Gardens. As our listeners doubtless know, Holmes was never a man who took exercise if he could avoid it. Lethargic sort of fellow, eh, Dr. Watson? Well, not necessarily. Needless to say, when we returned to Baker Street somewhere around five, 
I was the one who was puffing like a grampus, while Holmes bounded up the steps as easily as a greyhound. We were met at the front door by Mrs. Hudson, the Chatelaine and general factotum of our bachelor domain. Ah, Mrs. Hudson, what's up? It's way past your tea time, Mr. Holmes. Oh, to blazes with tea, madam. Give us an early supper. What's more, a gentleman was here. Waited upstairs half an hour, he did. Stamping up and down on my ceiling till I thought the chandelier would come loose. Hmm. Sounds like a client, eh, Watson? Well, we could do with a case, Holmes. The exchequer is getting a bit low. Bother the exchequer. Oh, for heaven's sake, Holmes. Relaxed. We're home, you know. He said it'd be best. If it's a case, see that he pays. Looks like he had money. Yes, yes, Mrs. Hudson's correct. Our late visitor undoubtedly had money. He got away. But uh, what makes you think the blighter was affluent? Can't you smell it? He smoked the very best tobacco. Uh The matter he came to consult us about must have been urgent. He's left his pipe here on the table. A nice briar with a longish stem of what the tobacconists fondly call amber. Yes, he must have been thoroughly disturbed to leave behind a pipe he values so highly. Oh, ball and dash, how can you possibly know how he values his silly pipe? Elementary, my dear Watson, elementary. The pipe has been twice mended, once in the wooden stem and once in the amber, each time with a silver band costing more than the pipe did originally. What's more, he's been here before because, having run out of his own mixture, he's helped himself to a pipeful from the Persian slipper on the mantelpiece. No casual stranger would know that's where I keep my tobacco. Oh, but here's his step on the stairs. Come in, come in. Confound it, man. Why don't you stay at home where you belong? Holmes, it's Colonel Ross. Yes. Obviously, my dear Watson. Oh, uh, bring our visitor a chair and a, a slight sedative of some sort, say a brandy and soda. I don't need a brandy. Yes, I do. Confound it, a double brandy. Well, don't tell me you've had another disaster on the moors at King's Pyland. We have that, Mr. Holmes, but this time it's not a man that's been murdered. It's a horse. Worse. Much worse. Uh, let me tell you there aren't many men the equal of Blazing Star. Good Lord. Blazing Star. Isn't that your entry for the Wessex Cup, sir? It was, Dr. Watson, it was. Aha, uh-huh. Blazing Star. Watson was reading me an item about it just the other day. I believe he's the son of the famous Silver Blaze out of Lady Luck. Uh, you were able to rescue his sire for me, Mr. Holmes. In time to win the Wessex Cup. What a race that was, eh, Holmes? But it's too late to do anything for poor Blazing Star. But by the Lord Harry, I mean to catch up with the scoundrel that killed her. And when I do... I've I... always contended there's a special reservation in the lost hell for any man who mistreats animals. Yes, quite. But tell me exactly what happened at King's Pyland, Colonel Ross. Uh, you remember Ned Hunter, Mr. Holmes? He was in charge of the stable at the time Silver Blaze was abducted. Yes, fine fellow, reliable and trustworthy. He's been promoted to the post of trainer since you last saw him, but he still sleeps in the stable, doesn't trust anyone else to do it. Blazing Star, like his sire before him, was the favorite for the Wessex Cup, I believe. Uh, that's right, Mr. Holmes. So Ned was being extra particular. None of the stable boys were allowed to go near the horse. Ned groomed and exercised him himself. No one else laid a hand on the animal. Can't take too many precautions with a winner, eh, Holmes? Don't interrupt, Watson. Well, uh, yesterday afternoon I went down to the stables myself to watch Blazing Star work out. <laughs> I wish you could have seen him. The sunshine glinting on his chestnut coat. Like a fiery streak he was coming down the stretch. Never went better in his life. Well, I went into supper and uh, cleared a place off the mantle. The same place we kept the Wessex Cup when Silver Blaze won it. Then I went to bed and slept the sleep of the just... But along about two o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by Ned Hunter. As I lit the lamp, I could see his face white as a sheet, and his hand shook as though he had the palsy. Ned! Ned, what's up? What's the matter, man? It's the star, sir. He's took bad. Better go for the vet. Good Lord. What happened? He seemed in great shape this afternoon. I can't explain it, sir. 
Unless it was that cat upset him. You know how he always hated cats. Oh, what cat? We don't keep any cats. Oh, a black cat it was, sir. Can't say I've ever seen it before. But when I was taking in his bunch of carrots I always gives him before I tucks him in for the night, a black cat comes out of nowhere and slips into the store between my legs. Good Lord. Well, sir, you know how the star is about cats. He started stamping and whinnying like he was possessed. Hey, you Timmy, Joe, help me get this cat out of here before she's killed. Oh, easy, star. Ah, easy, boy. Easy, boy, now. Easy, star. Did you see that cat? Come out of here like a bat out of hell. Always blazing like the devil himself. Uh, hello, hello. She's swiped the star on the flank. She's drawn blood. Easy, boy. Easy. Hey, Timmy, bring the ointment. The star's hurt. Well, Mr. Holmes, Ned Hunter swabbed down the scratch and tried to quiet the horse. But the star was restless. Long about midnight, Ned noticed his breathing was getting heavy and labored. He worked up quite a sweat. Ned rubbed him down again. But he kept getting worse instead of better. So I went for the vet. He's a new man in the district and supposed to know all there is to know about animals. When I brought him back with me, Ned looked like he'd seen a ghost. Ned, this is Mr. Peebles, the new veterinary surgeon. He'll bring Star around for us. I'm afraid Star's past help, sir. I've never seen the like. Just seemed to collapse in front of my eyes. His back sort of sagged and his knees gave way. Pretty soon he, he couldn't stand up no more. He's... He's lying in there on the straw, pretty near gone. You'd, uh, you'd better take Mr. Peebles right in, Ned. Yes, sir. This way, sir. Confound it. If anything happens to that horse. He was so fit this afternoon. Lord, it's quiet around here. If I could just hear the old boy breathing. Three o'clock. Where do you suppose that blasted cat came from? Ah, rubbish. No one dies from a cat scratch. Haven't had any cats around here for years. Certainly not any black cats. Well, Mr. Peebles, how is he? What's the verdict? I'm sorry, Colonel Ross. He's gone, sir. Died very quietly. Of old age. Say the vet pronounced Blazing Star dead of old age, Colonel Ross? But that's impossible, Holmes. The Wessex Cup is a race for five-year-olds. Exactly. Blazing Star was five-year-old last month. Yet when I went in to look at his body as it lay there in his stall, I'd have sworn he was the oldest horse I'd ever seen. Temples caved in, coats dry and grayish, hip bones protruding. You don't think anyone could have switched horses while Ned Hunter came to inform you the horse was taken sick? No, Mr. Holmes, I'd know Blazing Star anywhere. The star on the forehead he'd inherited from his father. The white off forefoot and a long scar on his left hind leg where he'd cut himself on a bit of wire when he was a two-year-old. That horse was star. Full five years ago last month. He couldn't have died of old age. Fantastic and macabre story, eh, Holmes? Quite. Many people, of course, will profit by his death. Have there been any strangers in the neighborhood of King's Pylum these last few weeks, Colonel Ross? Uh, uh, there has been a band of wandering gypsies camping on the moors. Of course. Gypsies have many curious and little-known poisons. They'd be quite apt to keep a black cat, what's more. If its claws had been dipped in some obscure venom, they... Possibly, Watson, possibly. Tell me, Colonel Ross, what's become of your erstwhile neighbor and rival, Lord Backwater, who owned the Mapleton stables? That blackguard! Haven't seen him since the affair of Silver Blaze. 
He was ruled off the turf after that, you know, and forced to sell his horses. Serves him jolly well right. Mapleton has been unoccupied until recently. About a month ago, I understand it was leased to a professor, an Egyptologist, I believe. He's a recluse. Spends most of his time in a laboratory, fixed up for himself in the old study. Maddie Baxter, our maid's sister, keeps house for him. Says he's a, a queer sort of a chap. Works behind locked doors all night and sleeps all day. Unhealthy sort of life, eh, Holmes? Yes, there are several factors around King's Pylon that don't sound healthy to me. Colonel Ross, I suggest that Watson and I take the morning train for Exeter to investigate the situation. I hoped you'd say that, Mr. Holmes. I've told Ned not to dispose of Starr's body until you arrive. Splendid. I, uh... I suppose you'll want me to take my revolver, eh, Holmes? Your revolver and that little black satchel that contains your medical kit. This, unless I'm very much mistaken, is a case in which we should be prepared for anything. Well, Watson, now that you've finished a thorough examination of the cadaver, what's your verdict? The vet was right, Holmes. The horse obviously died of old age. But I tell you, that's impossible. Blazing Star was only a little over five years old. Ned here will bear me out. That's right, gentlemen. Horse doesn't die of old age at five years. Well, it looks like Blazing Star ain't going to be the only one, neither. Good Lord. Don't tell me another one of the horses has caught the malady. It's not one of the horses, sir. It's the sheep. Huh? I noticed it when I went out to the paddock after you left this morning. They stood there all huddled together, shivering. Then gradually, all day long, they kept getting older and older. You could fair see them do it. Their eyes are roomy and their voice is weak and... Oh, some of them can hardly keep on their feet. But those sheep were young. Most of them were dropped in this year's lambing season. Uh, what do you make of it, Dr. Watson? Have you ever heard of old age being contagious? Well, there have been isolated cases, Colonel Ross, where young and healthy individuals have developed a wasting way that rather resembled the appearance of age. However, I'd hardly think it possible... Hold on, to... who's this running across the moors in the sunset? Looks like a woman... Her hair flying loose, her shawl flapping in the wind. And she's staggering as if she were drunk. It's Matty, Colonel Ross. Her that works over at Mapleton. She's not suffering from the effects of alcohol. It's fright that's upset her. It's sheer terror. Colonel Ross! Colonel Ross! Will you take me in this night? I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that house again. I knew he was evil the minute I laid eyes on the man. And now I've seen him. He's a butcher, he is. He's a ghoul. Who is Matty? My master. He must have released Mapleton. He's filled the house full of heathen statues. The lower part man and the upper part beast. Those would be the statues of the ancient Egyptian gods. Ra, the hawk, Anubis, the dog, and Bast, the cat, I fancy. Bast, that's what he calls her. The black cat that rides everywhere with him on his shoulder. Their eyes are alike. Him and the cat, both green. And they both can look at you without even blinking. Only his head moves from side to side while he stares at you. What's that? I said his head. It don't never hold still. He's a ghoul, that's what he is. They've been bringing him boxes for weeks now. Six boxes, big like coffins. A lorry drives up in the dead of night and they carry the box into his study and he locks the door behind it. That's the last anyone ever seen of them boxes or what's in them. You've never seen any traces when you go in to clean the study? I've never been allowed in, sir. No one's ever been allowed in that study except the man what brings the boxes, and then only for a minute while he puts them down. Today, the men come with another big box, only they brought it before it was dark. The master fell in a rage when he saw him drive up. When they brought the box in and set it down in the study, he was that worked up, there were flecks of foam on his lips. You idiots! How often have I told you not to come here by daylight? Have a heart, Governor. The sun's about down and there's a storm coming up. 
Me and me partner have a long way to drive back to town. We don't like to be caught in the moors in a storm at night. Oh, you don't? Well, this is the last time you need come here. People who work for me obey my orders. Aye, but governor... It's your pay. Now, get out. We'll be going. Never fear. He needn't have done that. Oh, he's a terror when he gets in one of his rages. Oh, there. You work here. Aye, I'm the housemaid. I know what it is he's got in them boxes we bring him. Haven't a notion. That room's always kept locked. Well, he never so much as looked through keyhole. Oh, I'd never do that. It's not right. Maybe not. But I bet it'd be interesting. Aye. Come along there, Chris, or we'll be caught on the moors out of dark. Aye. The lamp in there. It shows through the keyhole. It's taken the lid off the box. I can hear the nails squeak. I would sort of like to know what's in it. One peek wouldn't hurt, I guess. Hello. There's another box inside of the first one. It's got a painted face and hands. Now he's taking that lid off, too. There's something lying inside. It's got a face, too. And hands. It's a woman. She's dead. It's a woman's body. Great Scott. A woman's body? Then the man is a ghoul, a body snatcher, or worse. Unless I'm very much mistaken, he's much worse, Colonel Ross. As for the body, I imagine it's been dead a long, long time. Yes, I think Watson and I will take a stroll over to Mapleton later this evening. I'd like to take a look at the contents of that box myself. What a night to go stalking about the Moors, Holmes. I'm soaked to the skin. Yes, the equinoctial rains seem to be especially vigorous this year, Watson. Mm, Vigorous, I can hardly say. Good Lord, what was that? That, I imagine, is a member of the feline or cat family. Sounds half wild, eh, Holmes? It's unusual for a cat to be out in this weather. Seems to be getting closer. Angle the lantern over here. Yes, there it is, in that tree to the left. Good Lord. Its eyes shine like fire. Maybe she's caught up there and can't get down. Here, pussy. Nice kitty. What's the love of heaven? Don't get near that cat. Why not? Because one scratch from her claws... And you would decline and die of old age. You? Professor Moriarty? (laughs) You look surprised to see me, Dr. Watson. I heard you were expected at King's Pile and Holmes. And when that stupid serving girl ran screaming out of my house this evening, I rather expected it wouldn't be long before you came over to Mapleton to pay your respects to the Princess Hatshepnut. Princess Hatshepnut? So that's who you have in your latest mummy case, Moriarty. Yes, in the most perfect state of preservation. But of absolutely no use to me, unfortunately. Why not? She was still slender when she died. The artisans who unbound her didn't need to age the body to prepare it for burial. Age the body? Have you ever seen a fat mummy, Dr. Watson? Come to think of it, can't say I have. In ancient Egypt, it took upward of 70 days to prepare the body of a mummy. Rare gums, resins, and spices were used. And if the deceased was fat, a fluid was injected which aged and shriveled the body after death. And it's your theory, no doubt, Moriarty, that that same fluid extracted from those mummies would, if injected into human beings, produce premature old age and death. Uh, So far, Mr. Holmes, I have only experimented with animals. 
But I believe the process has been sufficiently perfected so that I may now indulge in a few human experiments. How fortunate that you and Dr. Watson should have decided to drop in this evening. Holmes, let's get out of here. <laughs> Not so fast, Dr. Watson. My servant, Akbar, has had you covered for some time. He's an expert shot, I promise you. Bluff. Pure bluff. Can't see a soul. Akbar is rather dark. He doesn't show up very well at night, but to prove to you he is present, I shall have him destroy the cat up there. No, no, don't bother. But it's no trouble at all. We came out here for that purpose. Unfortunately, yesterday I spilled some of the liquid I'm experimenting with, and the cat walked in it. It's no longer safe to have it at large. You saw the results when she scratched Colonel Ross's horse last night. You see, I don't want to kill people. I shall be satisfied just to make them senile. Are you blackguard? <laughs> Don't excite yourself, Dr. Watson. Akbar, the cat. <laughs> Such a pity. I was rather fond of the beast. Now, gentlemen, if you will accompany me. That's part one of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We'll have more after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And now to return to Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. We find them in Moriarty's laboratory. Sorry I'm forced to have Akbar tie your hands to the back of your chairs, gentlemen. Akbar, if you will remove Dr. Watson's revolver from his right-hand pocket. That's it. No, 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 you needn't take his satchel off his knees. I know how lost a doctor feels without his little black bag. Very generous of you, Moriarty. Not at all. That will be all, Akbar. You may leave the room and lock the door. And now for the lady Hatshepnut. She's in the mummy case here. I thought you might enjoy the sight of a charming female while I give you the injection that will uh, deprive you of your youth and vigor. Now look here, you... No, Dr. Watson. Is that by any chance, Professor Moriarty, the mummy case in which the princess Hatshepnut was entombed? I believe so. She was removed from the tombs of the royal mummies at Dar el-Bahari. By those famous grave robbers, the brothers Abdel Rasul whose exploits finally led the British archaeologist to the left bank of the Nile opposite Karnak. But how clever of you, Mr. Holmes, to be so well informed on Egyptian mummies. Holmes knows everything. Or didn't you know? Uh, Watson, on the other hand, while no mental mastodon, has hidden possibilities. Uh, did you know, Professor, he once played rugby for Blackheath? Fascinating. I, um... I gather from the fact that the mummy case has the hands carved in relief that it dates from the 7th Theban dynasty. You are absolutely correct, Mr. Holmes. Wait. I will raise the lid and permit you to see the lady herself. Good Lord. She looks as if she had died yesterday. Yes, Dr. Watson. The mummies of Memphis are black, dry, and brittle. But those of Thebes are yellowish, flexible, and so elastic that the flesh yields to the touch, and the limbs may be moved, so without breaking. Yes, it's remarkable. 
I should have liked to be present when they discovered the tomb at Dar el-Bahari. Imagine, Watson, there were 36 mummies, uh, 20 of them kings and queens. Suppose we dispense with any further lectures on antiquity, Mr. Holmes. I think the substance I have here in this little glass file may prove even more fascinating. How? This is the liquid I've distilled from five previous mummies. The ones who have been, uh, shall we say, aged. One small scratch with a pin dipped in this fluid should, if my calculations are correct, turn you both into old men. What would be the uh, object of that, may I ask? In the first place, it would render you no longer able to interrupt my activities. And in the second place, if my experiment is successful... I flatter myself I can change the course of history. Interesting. Think what would happen if I were to make certain men senile. The Kaiser, for instance, and that new American president, uh, Roosevelt, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt. And there's a man over in France, Monsieur Clumonceau, and a young man right here in England. His name is Winston Churchill. I think history might be quite different if he suddenly became old and feeble-minded. Let me see... My tie pin should do very nicely. Yes, a very interesting hypothesis, Professor Moriarty, but um, that file is so small. I Is that all the fluid you have? It will suffice, Mr. Holmes. I shall prick only the key men. Now then, I'll dip in the pin. So, and... Holmes, duck! Confound you! You've broken the file! <laughs> Bravo, Watson. A perfectly placed dropkick. I wondered if it would occur to you to use your little black bag for a football. Well, that was a narrow squeak, Dr. Watson. It was indeed, Mr. Harris. But even then, you were still tied to those chairs. Just how did you and Sherlock Holmes get away from the professor, Doctor? Oh, at that point, Mr. Harris, Colonel Ross and Ned Hunter broke in and rescued us. We'd left them on the moors with instructions to come in and get us if we didn't return in half an hour. Why did you think Holmes became so chatty about Egyptian history? You don't mean he was stalling. Well, what do you think, Mr. Harris? What do you think? Well, what could I think, Doctor? The makers of Clippercraft Clothes and 1036 leading stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran, with special music by Albert Berman. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in the case of the lucky shilling. If you'd like to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clippercraft dealer. He'll tell you how to obtain your tickets. That's the adventures of Sherlock Holmes from January 11, 1948, with a case of the sudden senility, starring John Stanley and Alfred Shirley. That was sponsored by Clipper Craft Clothes. Say that five times fast, Lisa. I can't. Clipper Craft Clothes. You did a good job. Clipper Craft Clothes. Yeah, once is it. I just heard on mutual. All right, before we tune into the Great Gildersleeve, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a podcast for this show. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. We're on about 180 stations across the country. But if you want to listen to our show via podcast, it's very easy to do it. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com and just click and listen. Right, Lisa? Easy. Click and listen. Great website there. There's all kinds of fun stuff, so check it out. All right, time now for the Great Gildersleeve. 
You know, my brother hates this show. I know. He hates the great healers. But he hates a lot of but things. But hate is a strong word, you know? He hates a lot of things, so we won't listen to him. I, I think it should be dislikes. He dislikes the great Gildersleeve. Well, he's allowed to hate it, but most of our listeners don't share his sentiments. Right. I think the great Gildersleeve is, is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. That's why it's the great The great Gildersleeve. Yeah, this stars Willard Waterman. It's from April 8th, 1953. It's called Leroy's Club Takes Over, part one of The Great Gildersleeve. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as The Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you, partially transcribed, by The Kraft Foods Company. As water commissioner, the great Gildersleeve leads such a busy life, he occasionally forgets things in his rush to the office. Fortunately, however, he has a nephew who is happy to run errands, especially around allowance day. Hi, Aunt. Well, Leroy. Here's your briefcase you left at home. Oh, thank you, my boy. You made a fast trip? Yeah, for lugging such a heavy briefcase. What do you have in it, money? <laughs> it isn't money. Now that you've brought up money, Uncle, it's allowance day. <laughs> I don't recall that I brought it up. Besides, tomorrow is allowance day. Okay, it's allowance eve. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to pay me now and get it off your mind? Yeah, all right, Leroy. Here. Here you are. Gosh, thanks. Hey, Uncle, I thought I saw the mayor's son when I passed his office. Yes, I understand Freddie's home from private school. Did he get expelled? Shh. <laughs> the mayor might hear you. Well, if he got expelled, the mayor's going to hear about it sooner or later. <laughs> no, he didn't get expelled. It seems Freddie develops a little eye trouble every year before examinations. He always was a slicker. <laughs> what a nothing. I mean, zero. No, Leroy, you don't know him well. Good for me. You watch it, young man. I know Freddy's about as obnoxious as the mayor. Hello, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, Gildersleeve. Well, hello, Leroy. Hi, Your Honor. <laughs> Leroy just brought me my briefcase, Mr. Mayor. That's a good boy. Yeah, well, I better be going. Goodbye, huh? Goodbye, my boy. Uh, by the way, Leroy. Yeah? You know my son Freddy is back in town? Yeah. <laughs> Leroy and I were just talking about Freddy Fine boy Uh, Leroy? Yeah, sure, I gotta be going Goodbye, Leroy Bye Quite a nephew you have there, Gildersleeve Thank you Sort of the, uh, Huck Finn type Uh, regular boy That's Leroy uh, Now take my son, Freddy Wonderful boy, Gildersleeve Oh, yes Chip off the old block <laughs> Well, no, not exactly for some reason, Freddy doesn't have many pals. He doesn't seem to care for any of the sports. Uh, he's more the young ladies' man. <laughs> you know what I mean, Gildersleeve. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd like Freddy to get to know Leroy better. I, I think you'd do him good. Well, Leroy'd be delighted to know Freddy better sometime. <clears throat> Gildersleeve, I'm going to let you arrange that. Me? Well, I've... Found that it isn't easy to choose a boy's friend. Well, you don't mean to imply that your nephew won't like my son. Oh, no. No, indeed, Your Honor. It's just that Freddy may not like Leroy. He'll like Leroy. How do you know? I'll tell him to like Leroy. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you, Mr. Mayor. No, not at all. I'll send Freddy around to see you. Good day, Gildersleeve. Uh, 
I guess I better tell Leroy to get ready for Freddy. Oh, Leroy! Yes, Bertie! Bertie's down here! Right down! Don't keep your little girlfriend waiting! Oh, Bertie, you embarrassed me. Now, Miss Babs, that's what you are, Leroy's girlfriend. Hi, <laughs> Babs! Leroy, you're so noisy. I'm wearing bigger shoes these days. <laughs> I'm growing up. What were you doing? Reading a comic book. Oh, that's so moldy. I've been reading Gone with the Wind. Reading it? I didn't know you could lift it. <laughs> Leroy, don't make fun of anything that has anything to do with that dreamy wreck butler. Oh, oh. Oh, brother, now you're swooning over a Civil War character. <laughs> Is he dreamy? I was going to take you to the matinee at the Strand Saturday. I don't know if you're going to flip over this wrecked butler. Oh, you just have to take me to the movie. Really want to go with me? There's positively nothing I'd rather do than go to that matinee with you, Leroy. Yeah? Gosh. <laughs> I'm just drooling to see that darling Farley Granger. Oh, for corn's sake. <laughs> the competition's getting pretty rough. Well, hello, everybody. Hi, Unc. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, nice to see you, Ben. Are you home, Mr. Gildersleeve? <laughs> yes, Bertie, I'm home. Okay, just want to know if you was home. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Leroy, uh, uh, Freddie came in the office after you left. I left just in time, huh? <laughs> it seems Freddie is anxious to pal around with you. He wants to be friends. Tell him not to hold his breath. No, my boy. We can't just ignore Freddie Terwilliger. I can. Freddie Terwilliger? The mayor's son? Yeah, the square pill. <laughs> Leroy... Oh, I've seen him. I think he's dreamy. That does it. Don't you just love his crew haircut, Mr. Gildersleeve? I think it's just out of this world. I didn't notice his hair. <laughs> what do you say, Leroy? So he's a flathead. <laughs> do I have to pal around with him? Well, I took a small liberty and promised that you boys would get together tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon? Sorry, Unc, but I have a previous engagement. Oh? I'm taking Babs to the matinee. Naturally, I can't break a date. Boy Scout, you know, Unc. <laughs> well, I used to be a scout, too. And I promised Freddie you'd do something with him. Mr. Gildersleeve, I'd hate to miss that matinee. You see, Unc? Too bad. <laughs> I've been looking forward to Leroy taking me. I can't disappoint a girl, Unc. So let's take Freddy with us. Gosh, oh! <laughs> oh, Uncle Freddy's going to ruin my whole day. Now, Leroy, look at it this way. If you're nice to the mayor's son, it's a favor to me. Unc, I, I know you need all the breaks you can get, but is it fair to me if I lose my girl? Babs practically swooned when you mentioned Freddy. You'll still be the head man. It's your party. Freddie thinks he's such a big shot with our girls. Well, you can be a big shot with them, too. Yeah? On my allowance? <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, I'll tell you what I'll do. Before the matinee, 
You take Babs and Freddy to Peavy's drugstore, and everything will be on me. Yeah? Sure. Just say, charge it, big as you please. No kidding? Believe me, my boy, girls are always impressed with charge accounts. <laughs> well, if you think it'll work. Well, of course it'll work. I'll stop in right now and arrange it with Peavy. Well, uh... So long, my boy. Sure, I'll foot the bill. It won't hurt me with the mare. It'll make Leroy look good. Hello, Peavy. Yeah, hello, Mr. Jonas, <laughs> What can I do for you today? Uh, Peavy, I dropped in to tell you, Leroy is giving a little party here in your drugstore. How's that? <laughs> he and Babs are bringing the mayor's son. Oh, young Freddy? Yeah. And I told Leroy to charge everything. It'll be all right with me. <laughs> How do you know it'll be all right with me? <laughs> oh, Peavy. I was just joshing, Mr. Gildersleeve. I think it's very generous of you. Well, I... And I think it's very generous of Leroy, too. What? To take Freddy along on his date. When I was a young man courting Mrs. Peavy, I tried to keep her away from all the good-looking fellows. Well, you were using your head, Peavy. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> oh? I'm not sure I did Mrs. Peavy a favor by monopolizing her time. She might have married some handsome millionaire. No, Peavy, you're handsome. <laughs> I know, but I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What time did Freddie say he'd meet us, Leroy? That isn't what time he said. I told him to meet us here in front of Peavy's at 2 o'clock. Let's go in and order. You think we should? Sure. Then we can have something else when he comes. I can charge all I want. Well, a chocolate nut sundae might settle my nerves. I'm so excited. About Freddy? He's a real zero. Where did you meet him? Hello, Mr. Peavy. Well, good afternoon, Leroy. Bad. Hello, Mr. Peavy. Mr. Peavy, I guess you have a reservation for me. Yes, I think we can take care of you. Do you want your reservation at the soda fountain or in a booth? We'll take a booth. Very well. Why don't we sit at the fountain so we can see Freddy when he comes in? Here he comes now. Hello, Mr. Peavy. Yeah, hello, Freddy. Did my hair look all right, Leroy? Relax. Leroy, I haven't seen you for some time. No, you haven't. Say, what have we here? Uh, Babs, this is Freddy. Freddy, this is Babs. <laughs> hello, Babs. Hello, Freddy. <laughs> well... Let's sit down. Are we eating here? Sure, I'm buying, and this is my party. How about a menu, Mr. Peavy? Well, the soda menu is printed on the mirror right over the fountain. <laughs> is that all you've got? Well, if I had a bigger menu, I'd have to get a bigger mirror. <laughs> Go ahead, Babs. What do you want? I'll take the chocolate nut sundae. Very well. Chocolate nut sundae. Babs, have you ever tried a moron's ecstasy? Not in here, Jed. <laughs> well, I, I've heard of them. Well, you don't get them in a joint like this. How's that? <laughs> well, two chocolate nuts, sunnies, and whatever Freddie would like. I'd like to go to the Eskimo Palace and get a moron's ecstasy. They cost 75 cents. 75 cents? Nash, they've got five kinds of ice cream, three kinds of fruit, whipped cream, and candied black walnut. They sound simply fab. Well, gosh... Mr. Peavy, do you think you could make some? I could, except they might revoke my pharmaceutical license. 
Ah, we're, we're wasting our time here. Let's go to the Eskimo Palace. Oh, Freddie, I'd love it. But I can't charge it there, and this is my party. Who said anything about charging it? I've got money. Come on, Bab. Aren't you coming, Leroy? No. You go if you want to. Let him stay here. Yeah, I'd better stay here. I'd rather have one of Mr. Peavy's chocolate sundaes. Yeah, thank you, Leroy. <laughs> well, if you'd rather. We'll meet you at the theater. Okay. Be seeing you, Junior. Junior, why that is. <laughs> Leroy. Yeah? If you'd like to join them, I- I'll lend you some money. No, thanks, Mr. Peavy. Well, you still have your charge account. Do you want a chocolate sundae? No, I want those boxing gloves in back of your store. <laughs> well, if you're thinking what I think you are, you can have them wholesale. That's the first half of The Great Gildersleeve from April 8, 1953, starring Willard Waterman. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of June, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Have Gun, Will Travel, Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting Western tales starring John Daner. Have Gun, Will Travel, Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Also on sale during June is My Favorite Husband, Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring Lucille Ball. My Favorite Husband, Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Have Gun, Will Travel, Volume 1, and My Favorite Husband, Volume 1, at 50% off the regular price. In July, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during June. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve starring Willard Waterman. Then Jack McCarthy stars as the Green Hornet from 1952. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.